Wonderful to see all of you today, and some of you I've seen more than others this week, and it's been good to get to know some of you quite well this week and uh, spend some time with you. And I thought of a text today that we would think about, and this is the idea that we just heard in our scripture reading, that Paul said that I'm laboring to fight for your joy. How many of you have ever had a problem staying joyful because of things that have happened in life? And uh, so Paul is saying, look, I'm your servant. I'm here. I'm working with you. I'm helpers of your joy. I want to work for your joy, it says in some translations. I want to fight for your joy. So that's what we want to talk about today, joy and the fight for joy. Let's just bow our heads. Father in heaven. Thank you today that we can open your word, and we ask that we would leave this place with your joy in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There's a school in Minneapolis, a famous evangelical preacher, his name is John Piper, and he has a seminary. and there's a school that he started. And the whole focus of his educational program is joy. And he talks about how we are most, um, when we, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And he talks about how joy should actuate everything we do. And he says the purpose of education is to develop true joy. So if what you're looking for in a school, of all the different things you're looking for, underneath it all should be this idea of developing true joy. And by the way, that's the purpose of all of our clinical programs here. People come with heart disease, they have with diabetes, they come with different things. And they kind of have lost their joy. They don't have as much pep in their step, not as much spunk in their trunk, their eyes are not popping, their jaws are not dropping, right? And they need help. So they come, and you know, they come pretty disheveled, pretty um, looking kind of rough, But it's amazing to me, after 18-day program, you see people that were not even walking, and then they're walking around the loop, they're walking the trails, and they're filled with joy. Praise the Lord. And this is the whole idea. It's an education program that leads to the recovery and the development of joy. Now, there are two types of joy in the world, there's a superficial joy, and there's what I call a serious, substantive, sustained joy. A superficial joy would be, you might say, the joy of the world. This type of joy is based on the benefits you think you're going to receive, the comforts, the creature comforts that you are expecting, um, the kudos that come from the world. I have a nice house. And therefore, I'm joyful. I have a nice car. Therefore, I feel great. I have nice clothes. And therefore, um, I'm filled with joy. 
this is superficial joy. Um, because if it's threatened or not coddled, it becomes outraged and it seeks to cancel those who would not allow it to happen. It's almost as if the, if the world or life owes you these kind of things. And uh, it's a happiness that's based on circumstances. It's a happiness that's external. It's the happiness that's based on chance. And perhaps it's a happiness that's based on reflecting the culture. And this is what I would call superficial joy. The joy of the world. But then there's serious joy, which is I want to spend the bulk of the time here. Serious joy, substantive joy, sustained joy. The Bible speaks of this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So there's the joy, you might say, of the devil, and there's the joy of the Lord. There's superficial joy, and there's serious joy. This is a joy that's not based on the circumstances. It's rooted in substance and significance. It's a joy that's not focusing on the externals, but it's internally driven. It's a joy that's not based on chance, but it's based on choice. You see, happiness is temporary, but joy, serious joy, is timeless. How many of you would like to experience serious joy in your life? As we develop serious joy, now this is very important, especially in an education system. As we develop serious joy, we no longer focus on reflecting the culture, but we become a power force to correct the culture. Because our joy is in the Lord. Our joy is in his commands. Our joy is in his way of doing things. It's a culture-changing joy. Now, when you meet people that have this kind of joy, they always get your attention. Like, for instance, in Matthew 13, 44, there was a person who sold everything he had to get the pearl of great price. In his joy, he goes and sells everything he has to do something, get something from God. Here's another one. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. <laughs> and so it's someone who gives everything so they can advance God's cause. Sometimes we look at a person like that and say, What's wrong with them? When well, we should be saying, what's wrong with us? It's a joy that's not dependent, in other words, on worldly financial success. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. <laughs> this is unusual, but this is what James is saying. All right, the trials of life they're not discouraging me. They're encouraging me. I am joyful because of this obstacle that's come into my path. <laughs> Amen? 
I might not be so joyful if I created the obstacles, like in our children's story this morning. But <laughs> I'm counting it all joy. Oh boy, this has now happened. Now what do I do? Well, I've got a choice to be upset, say I'm a victim, or I can say, wait a minute, I need to master these circumstances for the glory of God. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. <laughs> I used to run an evangelism school uh, for amazing facts for about five and a half years. And I had to get people ready for rejection at various doors. This was one of my favorite texts. We are going to experience joy today. What kind of joy? We're going to be rejected most of the time today. This is going to be great. They would just look at me. What are you talking about? We'd come back and they'd share testimonies. And usually, although there were a lot of people that had rejection, there were a few that just had an awesome experience. And that one experience would make everyone joyful. It's a joy that shines under trial and under persecution. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. It's a joy that glories in saying, we must obey God rather than man. And if we perish, we perish. This is serious joy. And Paul says, we are fellow workers for your joy. It seems that he had a team all working together to help people recover or actually discover serious joy. Because people normally don't even know about serious joy. They think only about superficial joy. And this is the benefit of, you might say, Christianity. It actually focuses on serious joy. I want my joy, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. I want my joy to be the joy of you all. <laughs> Being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, he says in Philippians 1.25, for the progress, your progress, and joy of faith. How many of you have ever had anyone that worked to help you develop serious joy? Anybody? I think my father and mother worked with me my entire life helping me to develop serious joy. Um, I think even in our, some of our programs here, we teach people songs like, I don't like it, I don't like it. It's okay. I've got joy anyway. I love hydro. I like the cold. I like the hot. And I can explain to you why I like it. You're developing a serious joy. Not superficial 
joy. Now, as Paul just theorizing, how many of you have had people talk about serious joy when you go, I, 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 I know that guy. It's not really serious. No, no, no. Paul was serious. 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. He just gives a little insight into his reality. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil, hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So is Paul theorizing about serious joy? Now he says, Romans 5, 3 and 4, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, some people will go through suffering for what they believe in, and they, they consider it joyful. I, went, I was in Edinburgh once speaking back when I used to think that um, going everywhere to speak was the most important thing in my life. And then I realized he who is everywhere is nowhere. But when I was doing that, and I was, uh, I was Edinburgh, and I was sitting next to this guy on a, on a bus. Guy had... He had scars all over his face that were recent scars. He looked kind of like the Steffens family after they cleared <laughs> their property. And uh, by the way, wasn't that a great children's story? He even came with chainsaws. This is an all-time first in the history of the church. I have never had someone come and hand out chainsaws during a children's story. This is all-time. I mean, only happens here, okay? Only here. Chainsaws handed out to the kids <laughs> during children's story. Um, so I'm sitting next to this guy. He's got all of these scratches and bruises and whatnot. And I have to speak at this conference um, with Hans Deal in Edinburgh, uh, a conference that's you know looking at plant-based diets and stuff. And uh, I don't know why they asked me to speak. I think it's just Hans was being nice to me, Hans Deal. You might want to keep him in, in your prayer. He had a stroke last week. Anyway, so Hans and I were there, and him speaking and me speaking, is kind of like uh, the mouse and the elephant that went across the bridge, you know. Uh, and the mouse said to the elephant, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? Anyway, so he was the big guy. <laughs> and I was a little guy, so... And I'm going there, and this guy, he's all scarred up. And I said, what happened to you? He goes, well, I'm, I'm from Africa. And I kind of could tell that. Um, and uh, I said, what happened? He goes, well, I've been trying to get people to eat a vegetarian plant-based diet in my country. And they all raise cattle and meat. And they're all meat eaters. 
And they got so sick of me that they beat me up. But I just kept going, and I'm still going to tell them that they need to eat plants because it's better for them, and I don't care. And he got all very emotional. I was like, <laughs> my eyes got big. I was like, okay, there's people that are serious about vegetarianism, and there's you who's really serious about this. Okay, can you see the difference? A superficial, that was me, and someone who was very serious. And uh, another guy goes to me, he just looks at me, he kind of smelled, smelled me out, he goes, I don't think you're really serious about being a vegan. And I was like, I, was, <laughs> I mean, I'd never really gone to these conferences before, honest, honestly, I had not, uh, at least in that setting. I was more in church settings where they don't believe in personal injury over such things. So it was a new thing for me, that people would suffer persecution for it. And this guy says to me, I said, well, what, what, what would make you say that? <laughs> kind of incredulous, right? And he goes, well, what about your belt? <laughs> and I didn't realize that veganism means actually not having any animal-type products that you use at all, and then my belt was leather. He goes to me, what kind of, of skin is that that you're wearing? And I was like, this, this guy's, you know, he's dangerous, <laughs> right? And he had on his arms, um, vegan revolution. That's what it said on his arms, a tattoo. And I went, I'm going to die. I'm going to die right now. This guy's going to kill me over the vegetarian vegan thing. And I knew I had to escape. So you know what I said? It's actually human skin. He was like, oh! <laughs> And <laughs> I think that kind of broke the ice a bit, and I'm alive today, amen? But there was serious vegans and not-so-serious vegans. I don't, by the way, use the word vegan anymore because it's kind of religion. I use plant-based, but how many are understanding the difference? There are people that are truly invested, and they're serious, and there are those that are just theorizing. And Paul said, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So it's a joy that rejoices in suffering, not just for rejoice for suffering's sake. And it rejoices in affliction if it's coming from confronting the culture and doing something of meaning and purpose that's of significance. Now, did Paul ever get discouraged in his fight against the culture? Did he ever get depressed? I think he did. Um, I don't have this. I'll just add this text in a bonus text here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at it with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this. Um, verse 8, we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. We were burdened beyond measure. You couldn't really measure it. Above strength, so that we despaired even life, he says. I know some of you have been there. You felt burdened beyond measure, above strength. And I know some of you have said, I don't even know if I want to live. 
verse 9. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. How many of you have ever had a death sentence in yourself? Maybe I should end my life. Maybe I can't go on. Maybe I shouldn't go on. Sometimes we have those kind of things in ourselves. Sometimes they're suggested to us by others. Jesus, at the time of his, after his baptism, the devil came and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from this temple. That's saying what? Commit suicide. It's not a sin to have a temptation like that. It wasn't a sin for Paul to have that. It wasn't a sin for Jesus to have that temptation. Now, it's a problem if you act on it. But what it demands right then is what? Some kind of switch and pivot from a superficial joy to a serious joy. How many of you understand what I'm saying? So what does he say next? Verse 9. That we should not trust in ourselves. Can you say hallelujah? Don't trust in yourself. Don't believe everything you think. Trust in what God says. That we should not trust in ourselves, but who? In God who raises the dead, then the context, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. He delivered us in the past. He's delivering us right now. He will yet deliver us. That's serious joy. Serious trust. How many think we need more of that? And what he's writing to the Corinthians is he's saying, look, I want to instruct you in how to have joy. I'm educating you to develop that kind of joy. And in fact, verse 11, you also helping in prayer for us. The thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. In other words, other people can help us with their prayers and other things, to develop or recapture, recalibrate, so we can go on with a life of serious joy. And that's essentially what he's saying. I'm here to help you with this. Now, there's several strategies in the fight for serious joy. And it's one of the reasons I go to church. I don't go to church here because you all look nice. I'm not against you looking nice. But I don't care if you came here and you were ugly. I still would come to church. I don't care if you came here and you didn't have good clothes. I still would come to church. Because I'm not coming for that. I mean, I, I, how many of you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I wasn't pointing you out, brother. So, so the fight for serious joy... Things like singing. Someone said to me this week, um, they said to me, and they kind of shocked me, they said, you know what I like most about the program we're in? I said, what's that? They said, the singing. And I like your singing. They were talking to me. I was like, whoa, that's serious joy right there. Because I'm, I'm known for making a joyful noise unto the Lord. <laughs> Maybe not very harmonious. But how many think music can be used as a strategy to help us recapture and recalibrate and sustain joy. Amen. Wasn't that a wonderful special music this morning? 
and, and you're going to hear wonderful music this afternoon, because there's this idea that singing can lead to joy and rejoicing. I love 2 Chronicles 29.30. Moreover, Hezekiah, the king and the princess, commanded the Levites to sing praise unto the Lord. You see, what happens when you have serious joy, it, it shows itself forward in praise and in singing, just naturally. And you don't even have to know how to sing. It just happens. Um, you don't have to be in tune. <laughs> um, you just sing, because praise comes out of joy. Notice what it says. They commanded the Levites to sing and praise God with the words of David and Asaph the seer. That would be singing the song, Psalms from the songbook. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. And that word with gladness literally means they sang praises until, until there was rejoicing. <laughs> Don't just sing the song once. Sing it many times. Now, my family knows that if I like a song, that it makes me happy, I will sing it many times. Is this right? Did you testify to this, my family? In fact, I get persecuted over this at home. Dad, don't sing it again. I'm like, man, I'm singing it. I'm singing it. I'm singing it. Dad, please. And sometimes they'll even walk out of the room. I face persecution. But I still keep singing. Amen? So it doesn't have to be a long phrase. You know, like I, I, taught, I, I taught a song on a trip. He brought forth his people with joy and his chosen ones with gladness. He brought forth his people with joy and his chosen ones with gladness that they might keep his law and obey his statutes that they might keep his law and obey his statutes. So I've been singing that for like a month. You want to try it? He brought forth his people with joy and his chosen ones with gladness. He brought forth his people with joy and his chosen ones with gladness that they might keep his law and obey his statutes, that they might keep his law and obey his statutes. He's bringing them out of bondage. He's bringing them out of Egypt. They had lost all their joy. They were following man-made rules. They were worshiping at man-made mountains. And he said, look, I'm going to take you to the true mountain. I'm going to take you to the true law. I'm going to take you where there's real joy. And while you're going, we're going to sing. We're going to sing on the way. Amen? So singing. I could give you many examples from the Bible. One other, Psalm 105, verse 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. So don't keep it to yourself. Sing out loud. This is why I love singing groups. And you know, uh, I was in England once going door to door and that wasn't going so well. I was facing a much higher level of rejection than I did even in the States. 
So we got kind of, you know, discouraged and we were sitting in a circus. Not like a circus that we think of here, like a roundabout type area. And I said, I said, man, this is a circus. People kind of laughed a little bit, but they were discouraged. I said, why don't we just start singing? So we started to sing right there, right in London. We're just singing. And pretty soon people started to open their windows. And they appreciated our singing much more than our knocking on their doors. Something about singing. Amen? Um, I don't want to spend too much more time, but praying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So a rejoicing type prayer. My grandfather was good at this. I'd hear him in the other rooms. He'd take his hearing aids out, usually when he first saw me coming home from school, because I had not developed serious joy yet. I was kind of a victim mindset. He didn't even want to hear my whining. So when I came home, he would take his hearing aids out. This was a sign that he was not wanting to <laughs> have me threaten his joy. And then he would go into the other room and he would be praying, Oh God, bless Don. He's having a hard day. I can tell by looking at his wrinkled face. As young as he is, he should have no wrinkles, but God, bless him. You know, and I'm like, so he was helping with prayer. By studying, third one, incline your heart to, incline my heart to your testimonies, O oh God. Psalm 119, 36. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Psalm 119, verse 18. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that may, we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So sometimes our joy comes from studying the word. Have you ever just studied something for the word? And you go, man, that's good. That's good. That's good. If you discipline yourself to read the Bible just four days out of seven days, it's been shown to totally change a person's life. And I'm doing this all the time. I'm not just studying for myself. I'm studying for many other people. If people have a problem, they'll say, what about this? Oh, man, let me study that out with you and for you. There's nothing more joyful than to see someone's lights come on and your own when you're studying for someone else. Right? And this book has to come alive. That's why we, that's why we have a school to teach people how to do that. How, how to make the book live in their own life. To bring them joy, not just superficial joy. This is not a prosperity gospel. <laughs> this is in sickness, and in health, right? In abundance and poverty. And this is why we have an educational system here. This Matthew 9.35, Matthew 4.23, and Jesus went about all their 
Galilee preaching and teaching and healing all sickness among the people. And as that happened, what, the, what happened? They came, and he gives the sermon on the mountain. It's teaching about rules, like our children's story. He teaches those. They were so happy experiencing the fruits of the gospel in medical missionary work that they were open to hearing more instruction. And he said, look, this is serious joy. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, superficial, all superficial, but I say to you, seriousness, right? And finally, at the end, he ends with a song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. Don't you know the song? Sing it with me. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up, but the house on the rock stood firm. What's this teaching? Serious joy is based on the rock. What's the rock in the sanctuary? It's God's law. Right? Foolish man builds his house upon the sand, his own little rock, his little sand bits, his own made-up laws. What happens? He doesn't stand because it's not serious joy. It's superficial joy. Last thing. Oh, by the way, this is why spending your life teaching preachers, spending your life teaching educators, spending your life teaching medical missionaries, doctors, nurses, spending your life doing that and teaching others is what changes the world. Do you think Jesus could have started a media ministry from heaven? Not even come down here? How many think that would have been? How many think he'd be up with the technology? But he came down and incarnationally entered in with just a small group, and he started a school. And Paul did the same thing. And this is interaction that changed the world. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. In other words, when we teach people how to preach and how to teach, it's for their own personal witness, it's for their public witness, it's for their family witness, and it changes the world. It's not a small thing. Right? Now the Greek word for joy is chara, or kara, which means gladness, calm, delight, and joy. Close related is the word grace, charis. Charis is that which bestows pleasure, delight, causes favorable regard. When we preach the grace, true grace, serious grace, there's also superficial grace preaching today, and there's serious grace preaching that teaches us to deny ungodliness and live righteousness, righteously in this present generation. This, this is so important to be teaching these things. I want to leave, leave you with just one thought. Actually sharing your joy, studies have shown, increases your life satisfaction, it increases your happiness, it increases your vitality, 
which is your energy and zest. Those who have studied the sharing of joy say this, verbally expressing the gratitude we feel to people close to us helps increase and sustain our well-being. I was talking not long ago with a couple that was having problems in their marriage, and I said, make a list of the things you're grateful for for your spouse. And don't just make the list. Read it to your spouse. And the researchers have found is that actually sharing what you've learned is positive is something we don't do. We often say, well, look, I don't want to share that because it's going to sound like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just pointing to myself. No, no, no. You need to share what God is doing in your life with someone else. And that helps sustain not only you, but the studies have shown that it has three levels of, of, uh, of separation. I don't know what that meant until I read this study. Here's what it says. Relationship between people's joy and happiness extends up to three degrees of separation. For example, to the friends, not only themselves, and the one's friends and their friends. People are surrounded by many joyful people, and those who are central in the network, if they're joyful, are more likely to become happy in the future. Here's the research. A friend who lives within a mile, and who becomes happy, increases his probability that a person is going to be happy within that same radius by 25%. If you become happy as a spouse next to an unhappy spouse, their happiness moves from 8% to 16%. Goes up 100%. <laughs> Amen? So if you wake up and your wife's mad, you just be happy. Now, don't be tacky with your happy because she knows that. Serious happiness, amen? Now, siblings, guys, I'm not going to point out anybody in the family, but you all know who I'm talking to. <laughs> Similar effects are seen with siblings. Your joy can go up from 14% to 28%. There it is again, 14%, 28%. James, if you're happy, that's going to do that to Donnie. Donnie, if you're happy, you're going to do that to James. Just for example, I'm not pointing you out. <laughs> Katie and Elizabeth, same thing. Say, if they, like if they, if they take your sweater or something, you say, that's mine. <laughs> I don't know if that would ever happen, just theoretically. <laughs> if, that, if that would happen, you know, maybe just switch it up and say, I am just so thankful you're alive so that you can wear any kind of sweater. <laughs> Surprise them with happiness and joy. And this will increase not only your happiness, but their happiness. And then they're going to tell somebody, I don't know what happened, but my sister has developed serious joy. And they're going to say it in the school, and then there's going to be this avalanche of joy. By the way, next-door neighbors, if you're happy and joyful with your next-door neighbor, the research shows that their joy will tendency to go up from 34% to 70%. Do you see how serious, serious joy is? I don't know. I was at life one time in my life where I decided, you know, I don't believe God. I don't believe Christianity. I was a complete wreck to be around. I was not telegraphing joy to anybody. I was sapping joy. Well, then once I began to deal with the unresolved Selfishness, 
the worry, the anxiety, the resentment, the anger, all those things. And I've been experienced forgiveness, the acceptance of God, and courage. <laughs> Life got a lot better for me and also my family. Because I now developed what? Serious joy. George Bernard Shaw said this, this true joy in life comes from being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish, little clod of ailments, grievances, and complaining. Complaining that the world is not devoted to make you happy. How many think he's onto something? He's telling the difference between what? Superficial joy and serious joy. Jesus said the same thing. I've come to give you life, life more abundantly. I have come that my joy could be in you. Just like God's joy, my Father's joy is in me. Whew. So regardless of what happens, pain, persecution, problems, living with joy, rejoice to the extent that as you partake in Christ's sufferings, when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.